You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, this is Robert Wright. One thing I like about the conversations I have here on The Wright Show is that they help me think and write. They've informed the books and many of the articles I've written over the past 15 years. Now, lately, most of my writing has been for my newsletter, the Non-Zero Newsletter. It covers the kinds of topics you see on the show. Politics, foreign policy, psychology, philosophy, spirituality, how to avoid the apocalypse, things like that. So if you enjoy The Right Show, chances are pretty good that you'll enjoy the newsletter. It's free, and all you have to do to get it is go to nonzero.org and sign up. So I suggest that you hit pause, go sign up, and then hit play. Thanks. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Okay, I hear you. You seem to have a special surprise where you're going to brand me as a racist. Actually, no, I hadn't planned on that. I, I was just okay. going to leave. I was just going to leave that to you. I, I think you've, you know, you've been doing a reasonably good job. You could up your game a little, but uh, by and large, I think that job is in capable hands. Okay. Um, I, sorry, have no, maybe I have I'm, no special plans. No, I maybe no, I'm paranoid. Maybe I am um, paranoid. I'm definitely paranoid. So I'm. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'll, I'll the, my my dilemma is uh, that uh, my friends, rich friends, are all getting tested for this thing, mm-hmm. and they all uh, wa- they sort of want to beca- they want to be tested positive. They're getting the they're getting the they antibody. Want the antibody. Okay, yeah. They're getting the antibody test, so they want to have had the disease and be branded as you've had the disease. And I think that's a bad idea because it's you know as a as a as a message from a doctor friend told me it's a bad disease. You don't want to get this disease. So I think my goal is is to be one of the minority of forty percent or thirty percent that doesn't get the disease. Because uh, who knows what damage it does to your organs, you, to your you brain. You mean even after, even after herd immunity is reached, you want to be – it's going to oh, be I a think, smaller a pocket than, than 30 or 40 percent, I right. think, with this well, disease. I think that has to be my goal. It's certainly to put it off as long as possible. Then there will be treatments or maybe a vaccine. Maybe, maybe we won't have to have that 20 or 30 percent. Maybe a majority can have the vaccine. So I think my rich friends are wrong. Well, I think the idea behind hoping uh, that you'll test positive in the antibody test is that if the if the disease were going to do damage and you had had the disease, you'd know it. So, so you must have had a non-damaging form of the disease if you've had it, and that's what you want, right? Well, you don't know if it's had subtle long-term brain damage effects. You don't oh, know if it's well, screwed up your kidney. These people aren't getting a, a Mickey, battery you, of tests. We should, by way of full disclosure, we should share with our viewers and listeners the fact that you think cell phones give you brain damage, right? Uh, this I'm is worried your, about just, it. Just to give people a sense of your concern I'm about I'm worried about damage. it. I don't think it's irrational to worry about it. No. But... Uh, but I do, I suspect, I mean, they do talk about like long-term lung damage and stuff, but I think the people who suffer that definitely know they've had the disease. No, obviously you're better off if you don't. Anyway, these people all tested negative, so they they did. They, they were disappointed. They were disappointed. Uh, they were. Well, I th- my condolences that, to them and, and their loved ones. I think they were pissed off because I think you have to pull strings to get this test. 
and and the hope you know to be to have have your hopes dashed and come back negative, but um, it could always be a false negative. But uh, the uh, you know, yes, they're better off, but who knows? Anyway, well, that brings us to testing. Do we need to? Should we talk? So where are we? This is week what of our pandemic podcast, whose name is yet to be determined. Week five, five or, or six. six or something. I keep waiting for Vice to go broke. If Vice goes broke, we can steal the name then of the distance. Can, which was, after all, our idea independent of theirs. Or I should say it's, your idea. The distance it, was it's your It's sort idea. of like Alfred Russell Wallace, where we had the idea independently and got, got screwed over. Perfect example. Because, you know, like Darwin, Vice has prestige and power. And so they bigfooted us. Even though you came up with the idea independently of a pandemic podcast called The Distance. I don't think they bigfooted us. We just found them on a web search. Does anybody listen to their podcast, The Distance? I, I'm the Maybe only person people. I know who has referred to it in public except for you now. Yeah. So good point. Whereas ours, people talk about ours. It's hard. It's hard to get on the subway without hearing about our yeah. podcast. That's because. Um, uh, so I think it's the fifth or sixth week, maybe. I think I it's the fifth, maybe, but, or yeah, the sixth. Okay. I, I think we're in a, we're in Concord on that. But so where are we this week? So basically, so first of all, America's opening up in my in my current state of New Jersey. The the state parks reopened today. In my home state of Texas, restaurants opened so long as they have disposable menus and don't seat parties larger than six and I other retail 50, outlets. I thought they have fifty percent capacity. There may be that. Too. I, it, There's a number. Not of even that. Yeah. Not even that. I think they go to fifty percent capacity in a couple of weeks. No. I think they have to. I think they have uh, weeks of under fifty percent capacity first. So you know what? I, I just you you know you want you want to know why it's not so crazy that Texas is uh, among the few states taking the lead here. If you uh, go, because, it, because oh, go ahead and guess. So high because they, they haven't had that many deaths yet. There's that, but also there, there are not their, their rate of transmission. If you go to the site rt.live, which is not the Russia propaganda site, it is a RT stands for rate of transmission. This was started, uh, by the guys who started Instagram, sold it to Facebook and then left in a huff. Um, and, uh, it, it's a, it's a cool site. It could cheer you up right now. If you want to be cheered up, Mickey, if you're at your computer, I could steer you to it and you would be cheered up. I, but, who said I'm not cheery? I didn't say that. I just said there's, you know, when it comes to cheer, there's no such thing as a ceiling, right? We always want to be cheer, cheerier. Um, anyway, it, 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 it calculates, I assume it's a reasonably reliable methodology, the rate of transmission for all the states and erase them, and you can click, you click like four weeks ago, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, one week ago, or, you know, today or whatever, and you see real, real progress. Uh, and you see that now almost all states, according to this, are below one, are below. I don't see how they can possibly derive that unless they know, uh, given the rate of testing and et cetera, et cetera. It's got to uh, be rough, but the point is it's been improving. I mean, so so they may be wrong about where one is, which would be pretty consequential since, you know, a rate of one, if, if you're below the rate of one, the virus is slowly dying out. And if you're above it, it's it's gaining ground. But um, anyway, Texas is second in the country on this scale. 
in uh, okay. in how low its uh, transmission rate is, and people can go there and check out their state and also be encouraged by the uh, path of progress. Uh, t- t- uh, uh, this uh, this set, this prominent epidemiologist Bedford, I forget what his first name is, uh, just tweeted that he thought the uh, infections had peaked, the new infections had peaked, and were going down. I don't think that means that the that it's less than that the, that the RT is less than one, but uh, that's a good sign. Deaths, well, I think, I think, it, I think it may actually mean that, right? I, I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. the deaths have plateaued, but the deaths are a lagging indicator. So, uh, yeah, and we would they expect have, them to go down. They're doing slightly better than plateauing, but not. That I mean, they're declining a little, it seems, nationally, pretty clearly in New York. But the thing is, you know, if you look at this iconic model, the University of Washington model, which, you know, a couple of weeks ago I said I thought it was going to have to up its estimate of deaths by August 4th. And it, they've inched upward from the 60s to the 70,000s. But I, I think they got some more uh, revision to do because the curves they anticipate have a pretty – you know, rapid uh, yeah. descent about as, but, the, the, and, and that's just not what's happening. It turns out it's not what's happening in Italy yeah. or Spain, and it's happening even less but, in the in the U.S. Fuck that model. Why? Why do we pay any attention to that model at all? Because it's everyone else I mean, is. I mean, it's like it's, so many things. Why do we care what Matt Drudge says? Because he's a genius? No, because other people seem to, for whatever reason, still pay attention to it. Well, there's a lot better case for Matt Drudge than there is for the, for the model, and in fact. Drudge has been uh, has has been uh, sort of impressive, impressively. Uh, uh, you know, he hasn't been scaremongering. He has been scaremongering, but he, he certainly hasn't fallen into the Rush Limbaugh Trump trap of oh, it's just like the flu. So, well, as we said last week, there seemed some distances opened up between him and Trump generally, apparently. Yeah, but I anyway, I just so I I I, I find Drudge useful, um, but. Um, but no, the Not reason a, this one reason this matters is it's just a way of estimating what the number will be um, c- come the beginning of August. Because if you look at a model that says seventy two thousand, which it says now is the total death count, and you look at the curves and go, they are clearly too optimistic. You can safely say it's going to be more than that. Well, since it's sixty three now, it's obviously got to be more than that. No, their current. Oh yeah. Well, you, well, not, I mean, not if the not if the descent were as steep as they anticipated, and as at one point, I think people anticipated, not all that unreasonably. I think, yeah. uh, but um, but anyway, the the descent on well, that is, on the curve is not that steep. It's this is not. another point that was made on Twitter, which is uh, why are we talking about a second wave when the first wave isn't over yet? Uh, we may just plateau until the winter. Uh, when it comes back. So, it, you know, or we may well, plateau, for, you know, for, I, I, for a year. I mean, it it, uh, it may not go down and up. It may not be a roller coaster. Well, we should ask New York what they're doing because theirs is their curve does seem to be descending. And mm-hmm. I don't know what last week we talked about one theory. Maybe they uh, used more hydro whatever and it actually works chloroquine and actually works. Another is just that so much of the trouble is concentrated in the city of New York, and maybe it's easier to establish a norm of social distancing in a single city, right, 
than it is kind of all across maybe, the country. Maybe it's the Olympics effect. If you remember in Los Angeles, everybody was predicting huge traffic jams for the 84 Olympics, whenever the Olympics were here. And in fact, so everybody left town and there was no traffic at all. So maybe everybody's left town. Well, that's what people are using to explain the fact that in New York hospitals, there's less in the way of reported strokes, heart attacks, and so on that people are – it's not that they're not going to the hospital. They're just staying the hell away from New York hospitals. They're going to other hospitals. Yeah. Well, that would be reassuring. Well. Since one of the main anti-lockdown arguments is, oh, all these people are dying of cancer because they're scared to go to the doctor. Um. That is, I guess, one of the main – but, but I've, you know, I just think – the anti-lockdown <clears> – <throat> well, I think the lockdown arguments are slowly going to gain momentum. Uh, I, I mean – I'm sorry. The anti-lockdown arguments are, are slowly going to gain momentum. I, I just think that's yeah. that's where we're headed. Yeah, we, we're headed we, – we're, and we're headed for large contrast between the states. I mean we have Governor Abbott in Texas and then just up to his north, uh, Governor Whitmer in Michigan is, is persisting in the lockdown, although she's fighting off she's her She's loosened up a little – so, but, but, uh, you know, California you, what, hasn't really, California hasn't really loosened up, but people are voting with their feet. I, I live, uh, you know, a, a short distance away from Olympic Boulevard and you can just, you know, when I walk around, there's, there, it's half full now. It's, you know, it was, it was 10% full. Now it's half full. So, uh, the politicians don't have complete control. Uh, that doesn't bother me. I, it, it uh, I'm I'm for a, a gradual loosening up. Yeah, um, I People. mean, it, it does mean uh, you know that. Well, more people die. I mean, there's no, no two ways about it. Well, we don't know how many people. People are well, people are secretly dating on the side. That's I discovered that last night. Did you I always knew? I always knew they were dating without me. Who did you discover dating without you last night? None of your business. Somebody admitted to you they were dating without you? They weren't dating me. They were a man. Clearly, were... that's what dating without you means, Mickey. Was this somebody... It's not like they were cheating on me. But is it someone you would like to be dating? No. It's a friend of mine. A man. Well, I don't... I'm, a, I'm hetero, you know. Uh, whatever. Anyway, it's it, it, there's all this stuff going on under the radar we don't know about. That's my point. People aren't really a hundred percent sticking with the program. No, some in are. Fact, I, in fact, I have a confession to make. Go ahead. A friend of mine and I rode our bicycles in a state park. It's either state park or county park, but it was closed. It was closed by order of the governor. And you Not, were within six feet of each other. No, the problem yeah. was we were in the park. I understand. We, but, we weren't supposed to be in the park. Did we, also, yeah, yeah. Did we rub salt in the governor's wounds by getting within six feet of each other? Probably at some point, but that's not the main point. Also, you're huffing and puffing, which is much harder, much easier to. Yeah, but the beauty of it from. is there was no one else there for the first time ever. This is a place we go regularly. It was great. Yeah. I'm so I'm so I'm in a way sorry to see the parks reopen today, although I did advocate for it and I CC'd the governor on Twitter and I don't want to take full credit for the reopening of the parks, but I'm, you know, I would suspect that my tweet is what did it. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, um, if so there's a knock on the door later in this podcast, that would be have good. That, that would mean effects. we were. That would mean we were streaming live for the first time ever. Which, so far as I know, we're not. <laughs> good point. Um, okay. So, uh, but okay. So there's some news this week, both on the vaccine front and on the antiviral front, right? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> you don't sound impressed. I, I kind well, of feel a little bit the same way, but you know what I mean, right? Certainly well, in the case uh, of the antiviral. This, this Gilead drug. Which I, I, which I will pronounce for you in just Gilead. a second. Give me a moment. Remdesivir. All right. Which, you, which, by the way, you have to inject before people get too excited. I think you have to get injections on success on some number of successive days. Huh. I didn't know that. Anyway, the... Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, it's its effect seems to be marginal, non-trivial, but it's not it's not as as Derek Lowe, the go my go-to vaccine scientist, says it's not going to be our savior. I mean, the company seems more excited about it than well, Fauci. Derek Lowe. Fauci sounded pretty excited. There were two times when he had a kind of a hostage video look this week. Once one was when he was really championing this as a breakthrough, notwithstanding the actual numbers, which we'll get to. And the other was when he was saying, I think we can have a vaccine by January. Trump was in the room on that one. And it really, yeah, that that had hostage video written all over it. I mean, of course, January is a perfect month for Trump. He won't be held accountable to this uh, promise by the before the election, but sounds encouraging, right? And I think, uh, I think October would be a better month for Trump. If he actually had a vaccine, yeah. it would be a great month. But but as far as a promise to break, January and December beat October by a long shot. Yeah. But uh, what? That's true. But um, so you're doubting the vaccine by January? That's interesting. So what are the well, numbers you were? I don't think gonna... it's impossible. But on, on the on the um, on the remdesivir, it, there's something a little puzzling, which is so. First of all, uh, the um, the big finding was it was a big study, a thousand people or so, rigorously controlled. People who took it recovered in eleven days. People who didn't recovered in fifteen days. I guess that's okay, but of course the bottom line is death. And what's puzzling, given the fact that Fauci got so excited about it, and he really was—I mean, this seemed a little more genuinely affirmative than than his 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 talk about the vaccines. Um, What's puzzling is that uh, the report says there was not a statistically significant effect on death rate, although um, 8% of the patients who took the drug died as opposed to 11.6% of the patients who didn't take it. But uh, it, you know, as, as an official technical matter, this is not a statistically significant finding. Now, at some point today, I would like to give my little uh, sermon on what the concept of statistical significance does and doesn't mean. And the upshot of the sermon is actually optimistic. The um, this uh, this epidemiologist Bedford seemed to feel it was significant. The death thing. Just the whole the whole trial was it was not a trivial advance. Well, right, it's just but not I our mean, savior. If it did turn out that it affects the rate of recovery, but not the death rate, it would not be a huge deal, right? Because, I mean, it would matter right, more it, if your hospitals were at capacity, which they no longer are. But it did affect the death rate. Well, not, yeah, but, but 
Fauci gave that zero emphasis because the report itself says the difference is not statistically significant. Um, now, can I give you my, my brief sermon on statistical significance? Yes. If you have more to say, you should say it now because it's a really boring sermon. No, I was looking for the tweet where, where Bedford said it was not trivial, but I can't find it. So go ahead. I, I don't think it's trivial. So here's what – and this is something to remember with public opinion polls, although kind of less so because they suffer from so so many problems beyond the question of what statistical significance means. But here's here's what it would mean – I mean – First of all, this is an, this is a significant number. I mean, going from an 11.6% death rate to 8% is a 31% reduction. Right. In deaths, okay? That's not nothing if it is significant. Now they say it's not significant. What does that mean? So, if they had said it was significant, okay, when people talk about statistical significance, they're usually using either a 95% or a 90% confidence interval. So what that means is, if they say it is statistical, statistically significant, what that would mean is we can say with 95% confidence, okay, there is a 95% chance that this drug does decrease the death rate by some number between 1% and, and, and infinity, right? We're not specifying how much. We're not saying there's a 95% chance that it decreases the death rate this much by 31%. Right. But it would mean that there was a 95% chance that there is some reduction of death rate in the population at large. So all to say it's not statistically significant means that given the numbers we have in the study and so on, we can't, we, we're not that confident, but it could well be the case that they can say with 80% or 85% confidence that this drug lowers the death rate. And it is a either a certainty or virtual certainty. I'm not quite sure which. I think it's a certainty that the chances are greater than 50%, that they're at least 51% that this drug lowers the death rate. Okay? Right. So people should cheer up. I, I mean, this would be – now, I should say there's a, there's a China study – that finds a, a, a lower, a less dramatic uh, improvement regarding death rate and um, and dismisses the whole thing in the end. But um, but this was a rigorous study that shows something that even if not technically statistically significant, is not insignificant. Right. And um, I think the China study gave it to people who are well advanced in the disease, I think. That's I one difference. They, they also... I think they tried to do control groups, but maybe discovered later that people who got the drug or people in one group were more likely to have certain maladies like heart trouble. I don't know. But anyway, this is part of the reason I say that the logic behind the anti-lockdown movement is going to grow. I mean, if you had a couple of drugs like this, if it turns out it does reduce the death rate by 31%, and then you had a second drug that did that, and you had some sense of which patients are most likely to benefit from, from which drug, you know, you're starting to talk about a dramatic reduction in death rate and 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 therefore a lower cost in terms of think, deaths of, of ending the lockdown. I think that's a, that's a, that's the exact strategy that Derek Lowe pisses on and says he has no hopes for. I don't know why. Wait, who is Derek Lowe again? Derek Lowe is a blogger who is a vaccine scientist. And he he um, I, I used to uh, back in the days, glory days of blogging, I used to. 
you know, I cite his blog all the time. And then he got pissed at me because of, I wrote for Breitbart. So I'm, I'm, you know, persona non grata, but, uh, he's a very smart guy who writes, uh, intelligibly about extremely sort of in-depth science vaccine issues. Hmm. Uh, and he's trustworthy. So uh, a lot of those around, I mean, um, this, this thing is illustrated, you know, how, how diffuse, uh, how diffusely you can tap expertise all of a sudden, thanks to social media and so on. There's all these new epidemiology stars. Right. He's been around for a while, though. You know, um, this is, this is, Trump is in a way lucky because we're getting very little good leadership from the top, but, you know, good ideas surface via these, you know, this diffuse expertise and uh, they find their way into the conversation. So here's here's what he tweets. Nate Silver proposed your theory, which is let's say by fall, a combination of drugs can reduce COVID-19 by 30% and that administration is reasonably widespread uh, 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 and Der- uh, Derek Lowe, he didn't have the combination, I'm sorry. Derek Lowe says, I think that all three of these estimates for mortality reduction through repurposed drug combinations are too high. Remdesivir did not even have statistical significance for that in the new study. He has not heard my sermon, though. He knows your sermon. Yeah, but if, if okay, still, he shouldn't be quite that dismissive if he really, if he really knows the sermon. Okay. But, um, you know, I mean, we can say Remdesivir probably does in light of this study at least reduce the death rate yeah. um yes anyway i'm more optimistic so i'm you put me in such a good mood yeah I, that was my goal now what about this vaccine thing that uh did you see the the fauci did you see uh, what fauci said was it that we'd have one f- we we could well have one for emergency use by january was that it because um, i would just like to point out this is an emergency you know, if we, if we have I think, I think the point use, was we, we could have, have it, but but it for but it wouldn't be in the in the vast quantities necessary to actually immunize the population. Otherwise, you could give it to nurses or you know. Although, do you realize really need it? Did you realize that the Serum Institute of India said on Tuesday it plans this year to produce up to sixty million doses of a potential vaccine against the new coronavirus mm. that is under clinical trial in Britain. They're going ahead and making well, the things. I don't know which vaccine. Is that the Oxford vaccine where they, they, they've been studying the coronavirus for a while, so they got a head start on everybody? Probably. I, I don't understand why Fauci picks the things to comment on that he picks. I mean, there are, there are dozens of therapies. This this remdesivir is only one of them. Uh, why why sort of latch onto that one? Uh, and there's there there's a race for the vaccine with also dozens of of contending groups. So you know why is any one of them going to be done by January? I don't know. It seems well, was Fauci talking about this. a sp- specific vaccine or just saying given all the things being tested? I thought he had one in mind, but I may be wrong. You know, meanwhile, um, Bill Gates supposedly is building five factories or something, and he's going to set them up to 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 produce uh the five most uh, promising vaccines and wait Even for results and 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 then and then and then shift all of them into producing what turns out to be the winning vaccine. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. That's a that's a Matt Iglesias proposal has echoed that proposal. He also proposes uh 
that we hire volunteers to get the vaccine and get the disease and see if it works. This is you mean human challenge trials? Yes. This is I, to me. This seems like a no brainer. I, I, it's, it's apparently I'm told, um, and you know, who, you know, who, uh, brought this to our attention, to my attention is, uh, our mutual friend, Connor Friedersdorf of the Atlantic. Okay. Yes. Uh, who shows signs of listening to this podcast, by the way, I'm not suggesting that, you know, our podcast has the ears of the entire elite opinion shaping class, um, at its disposal, but I'm just going to point out that one Atlantic staff writer does seem to listen to the podcast. I digress. Um, so he called this to my attention, and and uh, I think he's the one who told me that the most bioethicists are against this. Uh, but I don't. I, I kind of, on the one hand, understand why, given common human moral intuition, but it doesn't make sense to me. So here's what we're talking about. It's like. Normally, when you test a vaccine, it's like stage three when you really do the big efficacy test. You've tested safety. You've you figured out whether it seems to produce antibodies. Now you really you, you 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 pick a bunch of people. You give the vaccine to some. You don't to others. You let them live the lives they would have lived otherwise. You don't do anything special. And then you see after a while, and it takes a while because you know in the course of your ordinary life, you're not that likely to to make contact with the virus. Um, after a long time, they compare the groups and they can say with confidence whether the vaccine does or does not work. With human challenge trials, you take a much smaller group of people and you give some of them the vaccine and some of them not, and then you just expose them all to the virus. Now, do, do you find this objectionable? I, I'll tell you why I don't in a second, but in, in the in the case well, you, of this you, virus, at least it depends on the virus. But you would think the emergency is so great that it justifies shifting the moral calculus a bit. Can't you also give them like a milder form of the virus and uh, do all sorts of make sure that they're healthy people and do all sorts of things to minimize the chances that one of them will die? Well, I, I assume that you know whatever the threshold is, the threshold. I mean, you have to give them enough so that they're likely to get it, but or it defeats the purpose, but. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you give it to healthy people. Uh, it, to me, it seems like you're. I don't see why you would ha- be likely to lose a single life over this. I mean, you, you get it, it. It should take if it's this controlled. It should take a fairly small group. I mean, if you take twenty five, if you take fifty people, healthy people in their twenties, give the vaccine to twenty five, expose all fifty of the virus. Um, you know. I, I think that's unless I'm confused, you will you will find out whether it works or not. Right? You should, in theory, one group virtually nobody contracts the disease, and the other group, virtually everyone, whether they're symptomatic or not, does wind up with the antibodies. You know, and then you're done. And the and, and with that smaller group, the chance chances of twenty five of one of twenty five healthy people in their twenties dying from this, I think, are very small. So if that saves a ton of time. I, I don't, unless I'm confused about something, I don't even understand the controversy. Well, if you can do it with that small numbers, it is a no-brainer. Well, yes, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you be able to? It's a vaccine. It's supposed to work on almost everyone, and 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 this virus is supposed to infect almost everyone that's not vaccinated, whether they become symptomatic or not. Right? 
Yeah, but what if it don't? What if it's eighty percent? Then maybe you need a larger. You still get number. a clear. You still get a clear result. Yeah, with, with a but relatively if a small group. Is eighty percent effective? I guess that's worth. That's still worth deploying, right? Sure, and, and then you know there could be a second stage, and 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 and. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I don't even understand why they need the control group that's not vaccinated. Why don't you just vaccinate fifty people? Infect them, and if none of them get sick, I think we can declare victory. Um, it'd be a good reality TV show. You're, you're, you're way pandemic. ahead of me. You're way ahead of me on the entrepreneurial potential here. Big Brother Pandemic is now. Could that be the? No, that wouldn't be the name of our podcast. Big Brothers Pandemic. No. No. By the way, speaking of which, you were you were uh, you were very much into this uh, gold this Jack Goldsmith Atlantic piece. You found very troubling. Well, it it it, it looked. This is a piece in the Atlantic by uh, Jack Goldsmith, who's a, a former Bush lawyer, who's. Uh, Actually, a very interesting guy because I think it's the guy whose mother married the guy who supposedly killed Jimmy Hoffa. Listen, if I could stop for a commercial message, which (laughs) surprisingly is not encouragement to subscribe to my non-zero newsletter, although you could do that by going to nonzero.org, but I digress. My podcast, The Right Show, which this is an example of, by the way, uh, until we, until we come up with a a pandemic specific name, um, I had successive conversations with Jack about his book about this very thing. His stepfather, his stepfather and, and his de facto father. I mean, the guy who really raised him, um, was Jimmy Hoffa's right hand man. It's a great book. It's a fascinating intertwining of serious reflection on politics and civil liberties and the whole history of the Hoffa thing and this weird, uh, autobiographical story. I encourage people to. They can even. And he skip names the, the guilty man. Read the book. He, he names who he thinks is the guilty person. He does not name him in the book. He knows oh. who the FBI now thinks it is, but he, out of respect for due process, he oh. doesn't name the name. The book is called In Hoffa's Shadow. Um, anyway, he he contributes to Lawfare, uh, the the uh, the anti-Trump. Uh, uh, Brookings Institution website, and his contributions have been se- seemingly uh, very honest. He admits when something goes, doesn't go the way of the rest of the people there. So I assume he's a good guy, and he's written what looked like a fairly boring article about how whether you know the the pandemic is going to cement in controls on speech. Uh, that are that are not all that dissimilar from China, even if they're administered by Facebook and Twitter and Amazon. Uh, and then the thesis paragraph was goosed up somehow by what we call the billboard paragraph in the business, which is like the third or fourth paragraph that says what the thesis is going to be. Saying in the in the dispute between China and the United States, China was right. Uh, we need speech controls, which are inevitably uh, supervised by the government, if we're going to be a mature society. Uh, and I just think that's very dangerous and alarming. See, and alarming especially because it came from a good guy like Goldsmith. Yeah, I, 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 I'm surprised by that. I mean, here's what I did. I just skimmed the piece quickly, and I didn't pick up on... I must have... I guess I missed the billboard paragraph, if you're right, but, but I didn't pick up on them being... 
that prescriptive. Uh, it seemed to me that one valuable thing was them pointing out that for all the finger pointing we do about about China's uh, suppression of speech, and I'm not suggesting that there's nearly as much suppression of speech in the U.S., but the fact is these big companies like Facebook have to some extent willingly become surrogates of the government or uh, in some cases surrogates of the government, like for example, um, when Trump did the un- made the completely unprecedented step of designating the entire Iranian Revolutionary Guard as a terrorist organization, and never before had anybody designated a military arm of a state government of a, of a, of a government as a terrorist or any arm of, of a government. Um, you know, Facebook just yeah yes saluted and said yes. You know, I mean, the IRGC has like you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And suddenly none of them can go on Facebook, in effect. <laughs> or at least if Facebook finds out about it, they're toast. So th- th- there's that. There's, there's there's these companies doing the government's bidding. And then there's them just kind of forming a consensus among themselves or maybe reaching their own conclusions and policing speech. Right. And, and and I just think it's valuable to recognize that in many ways that is in some in some ways. That is the rough equivalent of what happens in China and it's good to point that out. I genuinely missed the part where they were recommending it, but you're saying they explicitly you, did. You, you, you didn't read the headline of the PC there, Bob. No, I saw the headline, and then I skimmed the it. The headline was not China see- is right. The headline said China is right. I know. I saw the headline subhead. Uh-huh. I skimmed it and and wondered whether the authors were happy with that headline. Which- that's, that's that's the big question to me. I mean, but they can't really object to, oh, they changed the billboard paragraph without our knowledge. Obviously, it was with their knowledge, so they consented to having this interpretation that China is right in these speech controls uh, put on their, their work. It seems it, it was – I was creeped out the other day when I went searching, you know, one, one of the things is these organizations that uh, Amazon and their Facebook enforces uh, are, are often wrong, so – the WHO was recommending a few weeks ago that we shouldn't wear masks, okay? And there was a graphic that they had saying you shouldn't wear masks because they can cause as much damage as they as they as they prevent if you adjust your mask and fiddle with it and it fits improperly. And they had a graphic with a woman with a mask fiddling with her Wait, mask. How could it be worse than no mask though? It was bullshit. It was the WHO spouting bullshit. Okay. I guess it it can be if you touch your face when you're adjusting your mask, you're Ah. touching your face. Anyway, but it was bullshit, and you cannot find that video on Google anymore. It's been it's been unpersoned. It's like 1984. It doesn't exist anymore. You can't find it. Uh, Even if you're trying to make a rational case that WHO gets things wrong, you cannot find this piece of evidence. So that creeped me out. Uh, And or at least I I have I have an example of that that I'll turn to in a second involving me. I have been. I have been uh Unperson? memory hold by YouTube, if that's it. What? Really? Not me, Tell not everything it. by me, but one dialogue I participated in. I just discovered this today. Anyway, go Tell ahead. Tell us about it. But anyway, so I think it's just a horrible thing that people, uh, that respectable people in the Atlantic are now endorsing speech control, which will inevitably and already has morphed into uh, policing and, and, and suppressing speech that nobody in their right minds would consider should be suppressed. Uh, it gives a blank check to uh, the, the, the PC yuppies, not the PC yuppies, the PC millennials in Silicon Valley to start censoring speech that they don't like. It's a horrible development. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I'm concerned about 
Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. I mean, I, I, first of all, I don't think we're in great hands. I mean, I don't think, I mean, Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg, if I had to name the first 50 people, I wouldn't want in charge of what I can say. Um, the, uh, so, well, this is a little, I mean, this isn't, first of all, we should at some point get back to the pandemic. I, I mean, the, 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 the goal, the, the Goldsmith piece is rel- relevant to, 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 uh, the pandemic. Well, it's all but, keyed on the pandemic. Yeah. It's the pandemic is, has cemented in a trend that was already there we didn't notice. Right. Uh, so this but, is but, completely on point, Bob. But, but, okay. But, but my, the net, what I'm about to, my little anecdote is only relevant if it turns out that the uh, pandemic was actually brought to us by extraterrestrials. So here's what happened. I, on the right show, the aforementioned right show, I've had two conversations with a, a quite eminent, actually, political scientist named Alexander Wendt, W-E-N-D-T, very big n- name in international relations. Um, one thing about Alex is that he's completely unconstrained, so far as I can tell, by concern about what people think of him. Right. So, so first he did this book on quantum physics and social science, which was interesting. I had an interesting conversation with him, but was guaranteed to raise eyebrows. And now his latest thing is uh, we need a science of UFOs. It's a perfectly reasonable argument. He did a, he did a TEDx talk on it. Um, and it's all the more relevant in light of the videos that the Navy just released this week, which we'd already seen because they had leaked out. But these we'd seen two of the three. Right. So um, anyway, I started because of this. I, I was searching for the for the uh, the the video of me and him on YouTube. You search for my name and his and only one video shows up, the one that's not about UFOs. And and even um, when I talked to him, his TEDx video on YouTube had a special advisory about, you know, science does not blah, 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 which was just bullshit. They hadn't listened to what he was actually saying. He's not yeah. like a crazy guy. He, he's just saying there's there's enough evidence that we should set up uh, monitors to figure out what, if anything, these things are. It's a perfectly reasonable argument. And I suspect that if I could ever find my YouTube video conversation with him, it now has one of those advisories, and that probably puts it in a special search category. I don't what? know, but it, it's pretty weird. Uh, they'll never get to us here on Blogging Heads, right, though? No, it's easier to find if you go uh, – well, in this case, that was actually on MeaningOfLife.tv, the two conversations with him, I think, for – they were borderline. But you would go but to that site t- and search, and you could find them there, Yes. It's, so it still lives on Meaning of Life TV. Absolutely, even though it's a YouTube video in terms of format. So it is so on YouTube you just, somewhere, but a search doesn't turn why it Why don't up. you just repost it on YouTube? See well, you could, happens. but then you lose all the... Well, ironically, what you lose has been taken away by YouTube anyway. You lose the... You know, a, a video that is watched by people slowly builds up some search capital. You know, it's more right. likely to show right. up at the top of right. the search. And once you repost a video, um, you're starting over. Uh, but what but doesn't it's not matter. Like it, it, it does, it's not like it wipes out the earlier video, aren't they yeah, both but, there? But I think we'd get, we'd get canceled again. I mean, the, 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 there's some trigger about talking about UFOs that brings you to, I don't know. Anyway, well, it's, not, it's it, not worth, it's, it's, it, 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 it would be interesting to see what happens. It's like, it's like your version of, you know, a challenge trial. You're, you're, Putting yourself out there and seeing if YouTube kills you again. I, I yeah, I'm starting to feel heroic about this. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay, I'll take that under advisement. But as for the uh, 
So are wait, are you on board with challenge trials? Now that I the, if I'm right. If you're right, definitely. I, I must mean, be so- wrong. I must be wrong cuz the the bioethics community can't be that confused. I will note that one of the guys who's on board with this near NIR IL EYAL, not the one who's famous for writing books about how to go viral, but an actual bioethicist at Rutgers is a guy I know and I commend highly. So search for his name and you'll see an actual paper he and some co-authors wrote about this. I mean, it's it doesn't seem that different that different than volunteering for the military or the fire department or the police force. So no, right. Uh, some small, some very small risk of death. Uh, probably smaller than than being a cop in New York City. I don't know. Anyway, um, that's an analogy that's been used, by the way. So y- yeah, you, you that's in credit. that's in Iglesias's piece too. Okay, so what else? Uh, at some point, I want to talk about China. I mean, how can you not? Okay, you know, and and the other thing to talk about is I have a short opinion on not opinion, but I. I a point about the Flynn prosecution that I hadn't realized that he was uh, that he was drawn well, into. I, a, I, into I was a very skeptical of all the all these uh, pro-Trump people saying, uh, "Oh, Flynn's now been vindicated." Because I mean, he did. If he did lie to the FBI, I mean, you know, I mean, what? How does he get around that? Uh, which and, which he did, which is it's still the case that he did lie to the FBI, right? But now we know that. Well, it's not clear. He, 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 the FBI agents that took his testimony, who he lied to, didn't think he was intentionally misleading them. Oh, they didn't. Whether, no, they didn't. Uh, but he did tell something that wasn't true. But it may have well, been. Well, he said like he a, hadn't talked to the Russian ambassadors or hadn't discussed something, right? Something. I think that's right, but. Um, I don't. Anyway, he. I think he denied they, they, talking they to, to him, feel that is... he just that he just forgot. But the oh, question is, the, the the that's what I always thought. Okay, but the Andy McCarthy's piece in National Review points out that in order for it to be a crime, it has to be a material fact to a legitimate investigation, and and his point is they had no legitimate reason to investigate Flynn. Except general paranoia that Trump was in the pocket of the of the Russians. Well, which that I seems to me like a judgment call. He's not saying that he didn't that Flynn didn't knowingly lie. Uh, he's not saying that Flynn didn't tell an untruth, knowingly lie. I don't think he would concede. Anyway, that's a wrinkle that I hadn't heard. I hadn't heard that it has to be material. So he okay. might actually succeed in in well, the, uh, the the other big thing. Right? Is, didn't they find notes suggesting that? In the FBI, it had been brought up that it might be good to draw him into a situation where he would lie. Well, right, but I assume that that's standard operating procedure. For well, the that's FBI. what I. That's what I. Well, I would assume it's not uncommon. I mean, look, Bill Clinton fell into a perjury trap, and they did a whole. It's not a per- Apparently, it's not a perjury it's trap a- if if they have the goods on you and you lie and they ask you the question and you lie about it. That's well, that's not what a happened trap. with Flynn. I haven't heard anything to indicate that he wasn't lying. But the there are all these other requirements, like it has to be intentionally Fine, misleading, and it okay. has to be about a material fact and a legitimate okay, so investigation. Okay, so whether it's a whether to it's convict a, you, whether it's a criminal lie, is the question. Yeah. Okay. Um. So okay. So Flynn. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought the thing about deep state is it, it, it exists on a continuum. I mean, at one end is what the term originally meant, 
which we definitely don't have in America. What the, I think the original meaning referred to Turkey, where at least it's a first context where I heard it, where the idea was there were these guys in the background, main military guys and other guys. And when, when the president got out of hand, they would have a meeting and have a coup. It was like a, a formal, actual shadow right. state that was actually controlling things that, that this, but there is somewhere short of that. Cases where there's a widespread view within the intelligence community that the new president is dangerous, and so there's a tendency to try to do things that hurt him. Um, there was probably some of that with Trump, and it's not a it's not a, a deep little more than that. Sense. I mean, there obviously was a yeah. a yeah, tacit no. conspiracy to get him impeached as soon as they can once well, once he was elected. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know whether conspiracy is the word, but but he he wasn't imagining the whole thing. Is that your phone? That's my phone, but we'll let it ring. It's probably the city of Beverly Hills with another another advisory. Update. They've updated their mask rules. You now don't have to wear them in public unless you're within distance of somebody. Oh, they're relaxing the mask rules? They've relaxed the mask rules because apparently they decided uh they decided that it's you know, masks themselves are slightly dangerous because bacteria forms on them. Because and- I'm wondering whether they're going to actually, in the course of loosening up here, if they ever do significantly, if they're going to strengthen the mask rules. Well, this is just that you, if you go into a – you still have to wear them if you go into a store and if you're within six feet of somebody. Right, right. Okay. It's just if you're walking around the park and there's nobody nearby, you can take it off. Uh, anyway, I'm so, – so- so, so as it long was, as we're talking about presidents, before we get to China, um, I would like to point out a couple of things. First of all, you continue to think that Trump is going to lose. I, I discovered recently the betting markets believe otherwise. Are you aware of that? No, and I've just recently gotten glimmers that of how of of how you know I, I'm just pissed off at him for his tardy response to the pandemic. I've just gotten glimmers of how it's possible that I could. By, and I'm, I'm very solipsistic about it, how people like me and millions of suburban moms could put that in perspective by November. And maybe totally. it just seems like it just seems like there's so much madness involved in his presidency. These constant appearances that are, you know, anxiety making and who knows what he's going to say. Yeah, and but- he has Jared running around and he's empowering Jared. It's, it's like a nightmare you don't want to continue for four but years Mickey, if pro- you can avoid it. His approval rating is about where it was before the pandemic started. I mean, it it went up for a while just, you know, via the rally around the flag effect. And then he did such a bad job of capturing that effect, whereas leaders in other countries, some other countries did a good job, but that it started falling back down. And um, now it is it is he is within uh, striking distance of of winning the election, depending on how swing states go. Right. But as my my friend John Ellis, who has a newsletter called News Items, wrote, it's it all comes down to these like, you know, few million people who are in the middle in swing states. Right. And I claim that I am I am a I am a representative. If I lived in a swing state, I would be one of them. Uh so I'm a suitable guinea pig, and I think, uh, you know, he's not doing well among them at the moment. Well, here's a question. If you're a Michigan swing voter and you can't make up your mind and you turn on the TV and these pro-Trump people carrying assault rifles are occupying the state house, what effect does that have on your voting, if any? It's a good question. It, it seems to me 
you keep a level head and realize that there are only a few kooks. But the Republican legislature is is now sort of uh, yeah. gone to bat against the governor. So maybe you could blame the whole Republican Party, but it's just a few kooks. I mean, I don't I don't see why. Uh, I, mean, I guess you, I mean if you're if you're anti lockdown, you like the demonstration, and the question is whether you get alienated by the guns. I guess, but um, I mean, people bringing guns into a state capital is pretty extreme. I think. Uh quite. I mean, I, I can't. I mean, as a number of people have pointed out, when the Black Panthers did the rough equivalent, uh, they changed the laws in California right away, so open carry was illegal. And um, not to mention, you know, subsequently uh, murdered the occasional Panther, like Fred Hampton in Chicago. I, I get maybe that had more complex reasons behind it, but um, the. Uh, no, it's 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 totally. I think it's totally troubling. The idea that anybody can bring a gun into a state house. I mean, I'm against I'm against open carry generally, but but uh, it's it's just like this is like a banana republic look. This is not a good look. It's, right, but it's, I, 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 Trump hasn't has Trump endorsed specifically that demonstration. I'm not so sure. Well, he's, he's endorsed the demonstration with his tweets earlier, but no, he hasn't. He hasn't endorsed the, the people. With this the is a later one, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I I don't think that's a big deal. I think the the main the main determinant will be Trump's behavior between now and and the election. And well, and what happens with knows? the pandemic and the yeah. economy, right? Yeah, and, and that's so, it could go either way. But there I but be, I now think it could go either way. Yeah, I mean either. I, the economy I do think could be on the upswing, and and so could the uh, uh, you know recovery from the pandemic. I, I do now think that there's a non-trivial chance that Biden gets replaced. Well, because I, of because I would, of the Tara Reid thing. Interesting, I, you should say that because these betting markets. If you look at the percentage uh, chance of winning, they assigned to Trump and to Biden. You realize they don't add up to 100. percent They add up to like 93, 94, 95 percent. So the betting markets think. There is at least a one in 20 chance, not only that, well, that somebody who replaces one of them, I assume almost all of them have Biden in mind, uh, actually wins the presidency. Um, the uh, And, you know, my general bias is after our talk with Bruce Feiler and the Feiler Faster thesis, which is the public and process information comfortably faster than it used to. You can replace a candidate you should, you should later. Plug his, you should plug Council of Dads, the TV show based on his book. Okay, you can resume. Okay, he, he, yes, he's he's the man behind Council of Dads. He's the dad. Uh, dad. Okay, he. Uh, he's a great guy, and he had this idea that I hadn't heard before. Uh, so it's his idea, as far as I'm concerned, which is, uh, which would le- lead you to believe that you can replace, you know, normally if you replace a candidate, you've thrown the world into chaos. People take a while to process this information and the party is damaged for a while. The filer thesis would say that happens much faster. So you can do it later in the process. Uh, so you can replace him in August and by, by November, it'll be as if he was the candidate all along. It's not going to, the, 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 the transition costs are not going to burden him. Uh, and, it, and of course, even even if that doesn't happen, it means Biden is a prisoner to the elites that would replace him. So he he can't afford to piss anybody off because if he pisses off all the powers in the Democratic Party, there'll be they can they can replace him anytime they want. All they have to do is get eight eight women senators to come to the microphone and say, 
we're so sorry, but these, you know, Biden may be innocent, but he should step aside and clear his name. Okay, but you know, spell, spell that out. Does he have to actually step aside, or is there a plausible mechanism for replacing him, even if he digs in his heels? Well, he doesn't. He he doesn't have a majority of delegates yet. So until he does, there's a plausible mechanism. Well, not only there's, that, but but will he ever like like New York? Right? Is it New York that actually canceled? A primary. So does that mean if enough states cancel primaries, does that just guarantee that nobody goes into the convention with enough delegates to win? It's a good question, but I don't think they're enough. I think enough are going ahead with them. But but that's a very good point. And even if he gets a majority, is there some council of the party leaders that can, like the 25th Amendment, replace him? I don't know. I think there is probably. Well, uh, uh, after the first round, if he doesn't win, there's, of course, the superdelegates, right? And, and I mean, all delegates at some point, I don't know how it works exactly, whether all of them are freed on the second vote or what, but. But even, even if you, you know, even if he wins the nomination and gives an acceptance speech, I bet there's some mechanism that lets them bounce him. Maybe not. Um, anyway, the, the point is Al Franken, you know, there's not conclusive evidence against him. He wanted a hearing. He d- didn't admit guilt, but he could not withstand the pressure, the political pressure of of 13 female Democratic senators saying he should resign. Also, also no he had one to resign. Of, I don't think any one of the allegations against him was as severe, as grave as the one against Biden. Isn't that right? I think that's right. And 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 and, and some of them is Jane Mayer's piece. Jane Mayer wrote a long piece in The New Yorker that wasn't completely vindicating of Franken. But some of the he, she did make some of the charges look pretty flimsy, like this one woman who said it looked like he was coming in to kiss her, so she evaded him. Uh, that was it, okay? And it was, at, you know, he could have been just trying to kiss her on the cheek or, you know, or, you know, give some sort of creepy yeah. congratulatory kiss, but that's way, way, bef- way, un- you know, below on the scale of sins what uh, what Biden's accused of doing. Uh, and with some cooperation, but certainly not, certainly not open and shut by any means. The woman seems a little flaky. So, uh, you, you know, um, in Biden's case, in Biden's case, I mean, she's part of these ridiculously pro Putin, uh, posts on Medium. Well, and, and or I mean, Facebook. And so it's, who yeah, knows? and some but, of the posts were like, how she's physically attracted to Putin. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm passing no judgment, but in terms of yeah. the ability of her detractors and Biden allies are already starting to do hit job op-eds on her, there is material right. there to right. undermine but, her credibility. But the point is if, if, you know, the, 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 the thing against Franken was sort of a coup. It's like enough Democrats got together and said, we, we have to take this guy out. Uh, because it will well, help wasn't us. Wasn't there in, one female senator who spoke out, and that was pivotal? I forget. Um, Kristen Gillibrand, yes, right? But she st- she launched it. But but the other people felt. But before then, they'd all gone to Schumer and said, "We're going to do this." And there were six of them, I think, that were sort of part of this informal conspiracy. But also, obviously, the Democratic higher ups approved it because it would help them win their Senate seat in Alabama, which they did. So. Uh, because it showed that they could police their own. So the same thing, Biden has to live in constant fear that the same sort of coup is going to be directed at him. If, you know, if, if six senators, including, you know, some of the people who he's now auditioning for vice president said, look, we're sorry, Joe, you have to leave. You're going to damage the party. These, cha- these charges may not be true, but they're too credible. We don't have to adjudicate them. 
it, he's on knife's edge already. It would be hard. It would be hard for him to you know not step down. It's funny when he made his pledge to that he would choose a female as vice president. I didn't understand that because I thought, look, he's got the thing wrapped up. Why make any promises at all at this point? You've got the nomination. Just, you know, use that kind of ammunition when it will come in handy. But maybe I forget when this was with respect to the Tara Reid allegation. I think it was before we had heard much about it. But maybe I'm wrong. And that was that was anticipatory. Right. I think he said it while the primaries were going on. So it seems to me just a standard pander. Not as bad as Elizabeth Warren no, saying no, that no. she it was after it. it was after Bernie was a lost cause. I remember that. That's yeah, why okay. I was puzzled. Okay. Well, it was not um, that long ago. Well, this would explain it. Uh, and because he's keeping Gillibrand in line. But what happens when he doesn't choose Gillibrand? <laughs> well, there's <laughs> that. I mean, it seems to me that then that he's more. Anyway, the, the but maybe their is, moment their moment may have passed by then. You know, it's like yeah, the upshot is. He can't afford to piss off anybody anymore, any of the interest groups. So Bill Clinton pissed off people by saying he wanted to end welfare. Jimmy Carter pissed off people by saying, you know, he wanted to reform the civil service, was pissed off the civil service unions. For example, there's this issue about the gig economy in California. There's this bill saying we have to we we have to classify anybody who writes over 30 articles a month uh, as a full time employee. So if you're a gig worker, you're you know, you're. If you write over thirty dollars, thirty articles a month, your employer basically says, "Sorry, I can't hire you anymore." Right. Uh, and there's a movement afoot of the pro gig workers that's opposed by organized labor to let them write over thirty. Okay, Biden could do something sort of forward-looking and seemingly hip and say, "We have to let more freedom for gig workers, especially after the pandemic. It's the only work they're going to get." Or he can't afford to piss off. Do that. He can't afford to piss off organized labor. Uh, now, because if organized labor joins this conspiracy to do to him what they did to Franken, he's dead meat. So his policy uh, uh, options have been severely limited. And that just makes him more Biden-esque and sort of creepily sort of status quo-y than he was before. It really hurts his potential electoral appeal. Well, he bo- can't do any bold new initiatives. Maybe in foreign policy. He can, that bothers he you more than it would. Other- well, he's not showing any signs. I mean, the last uh, thing he said on foreign policy was that uh, he, he will certainly keep the Israeli embassy in Jerusalem and not but move that, it back but, to Tel but that's But my point is that's sort of the only that's the only area where he where the, the, the interest groups are paper tigers. I mean, so he pisses off the Council on Foreign Relations. How many votes does that get? Well, in the case of, no, in the case of, of Israel, it goes nothing. beyond, it goes beyond pissing off CFR in the case of Israel. Well, maybe uh, Israel isn't the issue I would pick up, but if he gave yeah. a speech saying, you know, our foreign policy consensus was wrong, we've gotten too involved in foreign wars, he could get away with that. Well, I think that's to some extent what Trump showed us is that you can say stuff previously thought out of bounds about foreign policy and a bunch of elites write letters, but it actually doesn't hurt you politically much. Right. Um, the, uh, so did you see Biden, uh, this morning on morning, Joe, uh, addressing- I didn't, I, 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 I felt like I was getting sick. So I decided I'd rather survive the pandemic than see Biden on morning, Joe. So I went to sleep. It was a, it was a good call. I mean, I didn't see it either, so I don't know, but, uh, I'm partly curious about just how he, you know, how how it looked on in terms of kind of brain functionality. I mean, whenever he does a, an unscripted appearance, that becomes a question. But I'm also, I couldn't tell from Twitter. I haven't seen a lot on Twitter. 
Is there a consensus about how he did? I didn't see any consensus. It's it's been it seems to have been successful in that it did not uh, break through in a way that like appearing on the evening news or sixty minutes would break through. That it it seems to be still simmering slightly under the radar. I mean, I will say that by by the standards of evidence that have prevailed during the Me Too thing, um. You know, there's a certain amount of evidence. Uh, now you can, you can argue about the standards of evidence that have prevailed in the Me Too. You know, these tend to be very difficult cases to get at because there's usually two witnesses and they disagree. Uh, and I think there's a lot of cases where you wouldn't say guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And yet the guy paid a price in terms of career. Right. Um, and if if they had this level of evidence against Kavanaugh, he would not be on the Supreme Court. Well, if that's they, a good question. If they uh, had one, if they had one credible corroborating witness, and here they have two, they're not totally a hundred percent sort of unassailable. But if if Kavanaugh had had that, nobody would have dared to uh, nominate him to vote for him. Maybe I, I don't know. The Republicans are pretty determined. Or enough to people him. would have dared. Yeah. He'd he'd have to have withdrawn. But yeah, no, by these standards, it's a, it's a fair amount of, you know, there's, uh, one person, I guess, who's now going on the record saying she was told right away. Um, and then there's, you know, various other things, the, the mother saying something vague but it, on. It, it gets, it, it gets a little dicey. Were they told right away the specific horrible allegation that has now come forward? Then it gets a little hazy. Well, is that not clear? I mean, is, told is that the, on the second conversation, not the first conversation? Or it there's not. It's not a hundred. I, there's a Kathy Young piece, uh, which I linked to on my newsletter, that goes through. Is the closest thing I've 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 seen that goes through every allegation, and n- none of them is the hundred percent you know killer. She told me right away about the actual sexual assault involving penetration uh that oh, that's she's not, come there, to now there's nobody wait is there nobody saying that, that even now there are people who say she told me about it but then they said oh yeah she reminded me later that we did talk about that well that's not as good as uh you know i instantly remembered it uh so it's it just it, it leaves some room for a good defense lawyer to pry the man is is he ever a suboptimal candidate that's all i've got to say uh, but who, who who would they replace him with? I mean, Cuomo. You think? Yeah, I mean he's the obvious one. I I can think of others, but if they could, if he chooses Klobuchar as his VP, they could replace him with Klobuchar. I don't. I think she's very suboptimal. So I I don't. I don't uh, know. But but does does I mean Cuomo? The, would that video of him screaming that he needed 30,000 ventilators not come back to haunt him when the number turned out to be like 111 or something? I mean, I guess that's not a big deal, but you could use that against him, but it's not a killer. At least he's, you know, he's, he's, he, he, he has horrible flaws, but, uh, and he's made some horrible decisions, uh, you know, that resulted in hundreds of deaths, but. He at least seems like a presidential figure. He's commanding. He sort of. Well, look, compared to, look, it does, I don't think it takes much to be Trump. I, I, th- I think, you know, you could almost randomly select a senator. Honestly, has, I, I mean. He, ha- he has some neoliberal, not in the thrall of democratic interest group potential. Yeah. No, I, I don't, I don't uh, think it's, so. uh, I think in a way you want, might want somebody slightly, well, who cares what I think. Anyway. Slightly he's probably what? not going to be, what? 
something less macho. Yeah, yeah, almost. It's like you don't you don't need it. You don't need the antagonism, but precisely because uh, he's not a hard guy to beat, unless there are serious doubts about your cognitive capacity, and there's a serious Me Too allegation right. against you, for right. example. But I think Klobuchar is still too much of a of a statehouse Paul. She's like, well, about- I, as you know, we've talked about what I don't I don't like the shake quake combination with her, the, the shaking hair and the quaking voice. We've discussed this. Um, I, I just I, I really don't I really don't find her just a compelling stage presence at all. And, and a slightly unsettling one for that reason. Maybe it's just me. Um, she'd you be, know, she'd yeah, be a ahead. great cabinet official. She's obviously a she's she's a you know a relatively benign candidate so i i walter shapiro loves her so kamala harris is a good stage presence she she has other issues oh she's horrible she's like she comes across as totally overly self-confident full of herself you think and this phony this hip valley girl thing it's like horrible (laughs) um Uh, i'd much rather have michelle obama that would be interesting. I'd vote, you know, in a, in a heartbeat. Uh, um, I, I, I'd support that initiative. Anyway, um, anyway, it just seems it just it, it, this is know, all a digression. You were about to say something. Else. China, China is the one thing yeah. I wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about. So first of all, here's a piece from the Washington Post: a memo sent by the National Republican Senatorial Committee to all Senate Republican Senate candidates advises them to, to as the Post puts it, to blame China for the coronavirus outbreak, link Democrats to the Chinese government, and avoid discussing President Trump's handling of the crisis. Um, so, and a quote from the memo is, don't defend Trump, other than the tr- China, China travel ban, attack China. And a quote they, uh, they recommend that the candidates use is, the virus came from China, and China covered it up. So, looks like this will be a theme in the campaign. I mean, I have to say, maybe I'm naively idealistic, but at one point in my life, I, I thought we lived in a country where, you know, re- campaign strategy would be at least minimally constrained by serious reflection on whether the strategy was good for the world or bad for the world. But I, I, I've totally given up on that. I, I, I don't believe anyone, well, certainly think- not Mitch McConnell, gave the slightest thought to that question before before oh, 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 doing this. This is all from my friend John Ellis, but uh, who who writes about uh, Walter Russell Mead's column where he endorses this uh, go after China strategy, and I think Mead thinks it is good for the world. Of and course, we obviously, of course, he does. We we obviously did have a miscalculation about China, Bob. We thought we thought that embracing them uh, commercially would. Result in more democratization. Than, even if you didn't argue Mickey, this in your book, Mickey, we thought it would be. We thought that they would democratize Mickey, faster than time. they have. They've gone. They've gone in the other direction, and and also the trade deals were bad for us, and it has had a much worse effect on the United States than was advertised at the time, or that people, sensible people like me, thought thought it would have. So Mickey, a, they, a, a re a rejiggering of our relationship with China. Is a good is a is a long overdue thing. 
this is the third time we've had this argument on this on this podcast, which is only five or six weeks old. So I don't think we need to relitigate this or or even that I need to point out for the third time that I never argued that commercial engagement I specifically per se said would that you didn't argue it, but other people did. Well, okay, but but um the uh I guess my question would be, what is, and maybe you can spell this out in a compelling way. What does that have to do with whether it is or is not responsible to unleash a wave of rhetoric that could have the, the, the effect of restarting the Cold War at this point when we are trying not only to fight a pandemic, but to stave off a global economic depression? Okay. Uh, my question to you is, do you, well, just do you think that the, the people behind this strategy actually gave any serious thought to that? I don't. I just think politicians, by and large, are scum and not just Republicans. Well, I just think a, most of our most of our national politicians are scum. They probably think it's right. It's right in in the way that, you know, G- George H.W. Bush during the Cold War also resorted to a bunch of cheesy anti-Russia, you know, red baiting strategies and every other, a lot, every other, most of the other Republican politicians in America did and half the Democratic politicians. Wait, which George Bush? The father. Oh, actually, I think he was much more responsible on the, on the, on the foreign policy front. I, I, I don't think. Not, not in his campaign. There was a campaign mode with him that was very irresponsible. And then the governing mode was responsible. No, he was pretty, was, he was pretty shameless. Uh, it's true, but, but I, I don't, I, I, I would about like to he, think we're in a new, a new era of shamelessness that it hasn't always been this bad. I'm talking about even on. when he was running for Congress, not his presidential campaigns, yeah. but he, 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 uh, he learned that you had to, you know, be cheesy about it. And, uh, so I think they probably think, yeah, it's okay. We need a new Cold War with China. Let's go. I don't think it, uh, and this is Ellison's point. I don't think it's enough to work. I don't think it's going to save Trump if his, if his stewardship of the pandemic is awful to blame China. You know, foreign policy oh, I, I never has that much salience in, in a, no, but this isn't, but this isn't race. foreign policy. This is just them thinking, well, who's to blame for this horrible situation and giving them an answer other than Trump? This doesn't have anything to do with interest in foreign policy. Abstractly. No, I'm saying, but I'm saying the voters aren't that interested in foreign policy. No, blaming, but, but again, blaming China will not win them the election. No, this All is they a care special about is case. The election. This is a special case. The great threat to Trump electorally. A great threat is that he will be blamed for the the pandemic and or the economic situation it left us in. And uh, one way to minimize that damage is obviously to find somebody else to blame. They, these guys aren't stupid. I, I, I don't think their political but, calculation is off. Well, they make I, I think their political calculation is off. I don't think it's enough to win the election for him. It's too well, it may or may not be enough, and, but and it's, it's 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 not going to it's not going to help. Somebody who's out of a job and blames Trump for his tardy response to say, well, he got hoodwinked by China. Well, it was his job not to get hoodwinked by China. So you so, think all uh, these guys are wrong. You think the National Republican Senatorial Committee has no idea what it's doing. No, I, but I think they're, they're I think they're desperate and I think they're wrong that if they think this will save them and they haven't committed to this as this final strategy for the campaign, they're just, the, you know, it's only. Uh, May they're gonna they're gonna trot this out and see if they get any traction. The um the other thing that happened is Trump said I forget exactly how he's now well a couple of things happened on the how did the virus 
uh, get here front. One is the the national intelligence. What is the the uh, what's the official Uber I office forget. intelligence? There's, the a, there's a D national in there intelligence or something. Um, they issued a statement saying. They're pretty convinced it was, this was not a manufactured virus. It, it you know, it was naturally occurring. Um, and as for whether, uh, it escaped from a lab, a naturally occurring virus escaped from a lab, they're still looking into that. Trump, uh, said something indicating he has actual evidence that it escaped from this Wuhan lab, the Institute of Virology, where they were studying bat viruses for sure, uh, with an eye to like preventing epidemics. Um, one, there's a couple of questions about that. One is, um, I mean, this isn't the same as asking whether it politically matters, whether it escaped from a lab. I, I can see why it might. But as a kind of logical policy matter, it's like, look, whether it escaped from a lab or came via this wet market, it was a regulatory failure on the part of China. So in terms of the kind of degree of culpability and broadly speaking, the nature of the culpability, I don't see that it really matters. I mean, it matters in the sense of, well, which thing needs tightening and pro and both do probably. But, um, so I, I would say that, uh, but the other I thing, I agree with that. Okay. So, but the other thing is now, now that said, I understand the politics of emphasizing the lab escape thing because, um, that just sounds more nefariously like foreign, right? It's like, if you're trying to get blame the Chinese, it's like, oh, they're covering up the fact that it escaped from a lab. It, it just makes things darker. But we've been through we've been through this before. There are people on the right who think it sounds more nefarious if they if they have these horrible practices of having wet markets with all these weird, uh, yeah, weird well, animals. And, and and so Ann Coulter and there's this guy Cole who wrote, wrote a piece for Takis magazine uh, that was highlighted on Drudge. Uh, saying, why are they going for this lab business? The, the, uh, the wet market is, is just as damning and more, even more damning. So, uh, there's a split on the right on that one. Well, the other thing, I mean, I mentioned this last time, but I've since written, or a couple of times ago, but I've since written a piece in the newsletter on it, um, is that Trump is vulnerable on the lab front, you know, because again, there was this memo sent by U.S. officials uh, after some U.S. officials toured the lab and in 2018 hmm. cabled the Trump administration hmm. saying security looks suboptimal Chinese would be happy to have our help let's give it to them nothing hmm. happened yeah. so if it if it if it no, I, I understand nobody responsible is any in, in public saying it's a bioweapon and that there's scientific evidence that it's not if it was that that would be relevant to the treatment on uh, as I, yeah. as somebody said, because maybe if it was designed to be as evil a virus as possible, the chances for a successful vaccine are much smaller than we actually think, uh, because you know they will have thought of every wrinkle. Uh, there's no evidence for that, but it, you know, if it, it the bioweapon thing would be a, would, if you could show that, that well, would be a significant change. It would certainly be worth knowing if it were the case, for a number of reasons. What's your, um, what are the other reasons? Well, if they're working on bioweb doing genetic engineering, you know, you want to know. I mean, to me, it would it would heighten my generic argument for global governance and aggressive uh, arms control treaties and so on, and doing whatever you can to uh, 
draw them into that orbit. But, um, you know, at a minimum, uh, we've already had this discussion, yeah, but at, okay. at, a, at a, at a minimum, this, this shows you, I think, one of the costs of a new Cold War. We had some transparency with that lab. We were allowed to inspect it. You don't want to lose that, whether or not, you know, they're, they're making bioweapons. Um, by the way, Democrats in Congress have, have, I asked for, or maybe even subpoenaed, I don't know, the, the memos I just referred to. Uh, and, um, um, you know, they they did that after my the piece in my newsletter came out. You can draw your own conclusions, Mickey, about how whether that you know how influential my newsletter. Who would have th- who would have thought that the fate of America would be directed from a second floor study in somewhere in New Jersey? This is what this is what Bannon does on his podcast all the time. He he, he says. Obviously, they've been listening to the podcast. Every time anybody does anything related to something that's been mentioned on the podcast, and I think he believes it. It's it, 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 there's this, there's a the sense um, I call it sort of the Tony Perkins syndrome. I don't call it, but I'm d- dubbing it now after this movie, uh, Winter Kills, which was a controversial movie made by a local filmmaker that uh, was based based on a Richard Condon novel, where it uh, it hypothesized a conspiracy to kill Kennedy. And John Houston played Kennedy's father. He was very good in the role. And uh, ultimately, it turned out that everything was directed by the, by the Kennedy father. And the movie almost ends. And then at the very end of the movie, you discover that the Kennedy father is controlled by Tony Perkins, who's a guy living in a third floor walk up in Greenwich Village. And he actually controls the world. And what's, so, the, what's the mechanism of control? He somehow controls John Houston. I don't know. He tells he has, John he Houston. Has, he, he has dirt on John Kennedy's father. Or yeah, something? I forget. So, he's somehow dirt. in the CIA. He's somehow in the CIA, and he he manipulates the Kennedys who manipulate everything else. And um, when you are a blogger, sometimes you get the feeling that oh my god, I'm controlling the world from my keyboard in my little apartment. And uh, and and you know, Bannon would certainly get that feeling because he doesn't just have a keyboard; he has a whole podcast. And um, so you're allowed to feel that. No, too. I think I think uh, some of these speculations are, are possibly more plausible in his case than in mine. But man, is he is he crazy on the China front? You saw the you saw the Jared Kushner quote about him in no. the always suspect Vanity Fair article by Gabriel Sherman. But this quote was less suspect. It said, uh, "Last Jared said last time I saw him, he said something like." He's a nobody. Last I heard of him, he was out there on East River Drive with the squeegee men. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. So, um, uh, I, he was FDR I, I, Drive. A denunciation that extreme suggests that Jared is feeling threatened, I would say. I don't um, know. Uh, or, some or say they, that Jared is arrogant. I would never say that. Oh, by the way, oh, how, how long should we? We've been going forever. Um, how long have we been going? But but no, that my thought turned to an hour and twenty minutes. My thought turned to buying your way into Harvard, and that in turn turned my thoughts to Jeffrey Epstein. You probably haven't time. You know, Harvard released its big study on Epstein's influence today. I, I saw that, but I didn't read it. I didn't even see what the headline was. It's pretty amazing. He was like What's a fellow. It? He was like some kind of not a Harvard fellow, not the Society of Fellows, but he bought his way into being some kind of fellow, and. I hadn't realized, you know, he, he directed a ton of money 
toward this lab set up by this Martin uh, N-O-W-A-K, Novak, I think it is, guy, Lab for Evolutionary Dynamics. And then that became a place where apparently Epstein met with a bunch of scientists that, that, uh, you know, he did have an interest in talking to a bu- bunch of scientists. The things I've always, the thing I've always thought was weird. If you don't buy the intelligence, I mean, if you do buy the intelligence, you know, that, that he was working for, for some intelligence agency somewhere, you would think he would try to latch on to genuinely valuable science, but, most of it doesn't seem in that category. It's not. It's not like cryptographers or microchip designers or even that many like AI people. Well, I, I assume know. he was. I assume he was so lavishly funded by whoever lavishly funded him uh, that uh, that this was just money he played around with for his own personal advancement and to to suck up to elites and didn't so really you, have to have a payoff for. So you, you think that. The obsession with science elites and academic elites was unrelated to his actual mission, which was to get compromising information on. It was related because it allowed him to hobnob with with a bunch of, you know, you know, if you have a party and you invite prominent evolutionary scientists and and and, you know, uh, Senator Mitchell, uh, you're more likely to get Senator Mitchell to show up at the party. Uh, I think think that's a really bad example. Why? Do you think Mitchell gives a shit about, you know, I mean, people who can't help him politically? Yeah, I think people are intellectually curious and there's a free saw of erudition when you're hobnobbing with, you know, prominent AI scientists who are like the hotshots in their field. And uh, yeah. Oh, oh, you mean, oh, oh, the Democrat. OK, never mind. I was thinking and there, the was the whole, there was the whole there uh, was the whole that senator. You mean the Democratic Senator Mitchell? Yeah. Yeah. Who is there another one? Maybe not. I was, uh, I was, I think maybe George after Mitchell. an hour and George Mitchell was the big name who was alleged to have been compromised. Right. I see. Uh, I didn't know uh, that. by Epstein, and he's denied it. Let the record show. But uh, uh, you know, if you were the Mossad, you would certainly want Mitchell to be compromised. I guess. Uh, uh, weird story. Um, uh, so uh, no. So anyway, that Harvard. I mean, Harvard seems to be doing nothing to to untarnish its name. Maybe this report will help that. But well, that's yeah. the idea behind the report. I didn't get to, yeah. I didn't get to the end of it. I just kind of glanced at it. But um, a lot of money. We'll see. We'll see what Zeni Jardin, anti university uh, anti Epstein crusader, has to say about it. Is that what she does? She's an she's well. She's a she's a. A wild woman uh, on Twitter, and uh, but that's one of her crusades. Yes, yeah, I haven't heard from her lately. I remember she was a big, a big blogger. She even point. attacked me once recently. Oh, congratulations! For I because I retweeted something about Epstein didn't kill himself, and she pointed out that that started in suspect far right circles, which it did, I think. So she had a point. Uh. uh. So anything else we need to say pandemic-wise? We still don't have a name for the show. Are we going to keep going for what? what's our... I'll, if the pandemic goes on for two more years, I don't know if we'll keep going for two more years, but we can certainly keep going for one more week. Well, maybe it should depend on the podcast's rate of viral transmission. Like, <laughs> if people share it above a certain level... Do you know that? 
No, I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I don't know that it's, I don't know that anyone's watching or listening at all. You must have some stats you can look at. No, no, we know that some number of people are watching and, and a larger number of people are downloading the audio. Um, is it going, is it going up or down? Honestly, I haven't looked. uh, What's its R not? That's my, that's what I'm saying. That, that should be the thing. And if people want it to continue, they should spend all their waking hours sharing it on social media and be part of the uh, keeping the the R not above above the the, the critical 1.0 level um or we will go into lockdown well, we'll I, mean, I mean like like every state in America if our if our R sub not or our R not gets below 1 we will be more inclined to go into lockdown well um We'll we'll go the way of J. Crew. Uh, is J. Crew dead? About to declare bankruptcy. Oh, a lot of that. I mean, you know, we shouldn't. I, that's the trouble. We have a kind of a light tone about this, but there's a lot of grave shit happening. I mean, uh, well, J. All, Crew was J. Crew has been doomed for well, a I, long look, time. I, I I feel sorry for J. Crew's workers, but the institution itself, no, doesn't but, hold but a special there, place there's in been, my heart. There, there has been no media organization. I think that's actually disappeared that I value. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. There, lo- which ones have disappeared at all? Well, some local local publications, and I guess they should be valued. But uh, no, that's that's my point. There's been less carnage at the moment than you would expect so far. But they're all screaming that ad revenues are plummeting. Yeah, but um, the but no, they're they're you know it's a. And I mean, one thing I'll say about the the lockdown, you know, it's ironic. The people who want to end the lockdown, some of the people, a common talking point, I think, of people who want to end the lockdown is like, well, you elites who can um, commute, you know, can telecommute uh, and, and have your food delivered without worrying about how much it costs and everything or happy with the lockdown. Sure. You've got your, your, you know, you've got your, uh, elliptical, your pre-core elliptical you can work out on and blah, blah, blah. But what about us regular folk? On the other hand, the, the people who are suffering that the health consequences uh, of the, the pandemic, the most people who pay the biggest price, uh, when lockdown ends are, are not, they tend not to be the affluent. They're the old and the low income. Um, and that should not be forgotten. Um, and and I, I, want, I, I want to focus particularly on the low income. I, I mean, I would guess they're the non-rich old because I would think the rich old are less likely to be in nursing homes that are going to wind up having the virus. And and then there's the, you know, as you know, low income. I mean, not to mention like people in prisons and, and, and so on. But they're the ones... You know. A lot of rich people have died. They, the, 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 um, the, the, uh, have they? Uh, you mean- yeah. I mean, Trump says he's lost four friends. That's more, he's richer than I am. And he's, I haven't lost four friends yet. Thank God. Um, but, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the incredible presence in the black community is, is another factor here, which is I, at first I dismissed it as saying it's all, this is all just uh, standard, standard bullshit that the, that the press always looks to say is you know blacks hardest hit, but blacks really do seem to be hardest hit. 
in a way that suggests that maybe there's, uh, maybe it's one of those diseases that strikes different races differently. Uh, Could be, but they, you know, also, I mean, they're more likely to do and have a number of other risk factors to more likely to uh, do the kinds of jobs that are still being done uh, in, in person to the extent they're being done, more likely to have to take public transportation to work. Um, so, I mean, I'd like to know what happens when you correct for income level and other things, whether how, how, how prominent the difference remains. Like the figures out of D.C. are so severe that they're even beyond that. It's like 90 percent of the victims are black or something. It's like insane. Well, also, I think isn't high, high blood pressure, for example, isn't that higher? There's high blood pressure. There's obesity. There's all sorts of things. But still, it's 90 percent. That's like unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Mm-hmm. OK. Um. Okay, nothing else then. Uh, we, we do, I mean, we do encourage, you know, we, we do encourage people to, well, actually, there is no pandemic podcast to rate and review. Can rate and review the right show, which we encourage. Uh, don't we? Don't we? Uh, don't we, Mickey? Um, but also, yeah. You have a Patreon page. We have a Patreon page for the whole, for everything the non-zero foundation does, including the newsletter, Blogging Heads TV, Meaning of Life TV, and so on. We have that, but also um, we're still looking for name for yeah. pandemic. Now, are we pledging any, uh, how much are we pledging in the way of how long we continue? Did we settle that? Oh, oh, we, we need, uh, so long as R is, so long as we grow, R is greater than 1.0. Okay. Uh, we'll look into that. I, okay. Um, anyway, uh, so like th- Kristen Gillibrand, I can turn on a dime. Uh, I will be, but I'm I'm certainly good for one more week. Okay, me too. And next week, maybe I'll show you my my cool new mask I got from Colleen, the mask maker. More about her next week. Okay. Okay. Thanks. See ya. See ya.